I'm Eric Benson, your host for Climify. I'm here today to introduce you to a new podcast called Deep Dive. It's the idea of two amazing designers, Grace Tursich and Rachel Cifarelli. They are both recent graphic design graduates who are deeply committed to being climate designers themselves. They came to me towards the end of the first season of Climify with an idea. They love the podcast. However, they could see gaps and opportunities for them to help fill and explore explaining topics and definitions that appear on the show in a deeper way to help the design student better understand the ins and outs on how they could be a better climate designer as well. I thought it was an amazing idea. I've seen this done before on other podcasts and felt they have a point. Some of the stuff my guests and I discuss on the show are nuanced and jargon. So I'm happy to introduce you today to Deep Dive. It's a Climify miniseries that explores opportunities for climate education through the eyes of recent design students. The classroom needs to see more intersectionality between design and climate. And Deep Dive is here to advocate for that. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Deep Dive. This is episode one. I'm Rachel. And I'm Grace. And today we're going to be talking about how design education is very siloed and how designers might feel siloed in the profession. If you haven't already, you should listen to episode eight of Climify, Shifting Designers to Tackle Climate Change. That's with Katie Patrick and Lisa Zimmerman. They touch on this in that episode, but we would recommend listening to that and then coming back to this so you'll kind of get a better understanding of what we're talking about. Okay. So what was something that I guess you were thinking about as you were doing your research for this? Yeah, the thing that stuck out to me the most was the idea that cross-pollination is not happening within design, design education, and people's careers in design, and that it benefits all aspects of design and people working with designers when there is cross-pollination. When you, so when you say cross-pollination, what do you mean by that? So that means that there is collaboration and there is a lot of connections being used during a design process. So that would be pulling in a bunch of different people to get different perspectives, not just being in your creative team or your design team, or if you're a student, not just being around your peers, but bringing in other people, maybe if we're talking about education, bringing in people from different majors or different interests, different ages, things like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think as we were, we talked about this a, a while ago at this point, but you and I had talked about like designers never really working with other designers. Like, you know, graphic designers and UI UX designers don't really ever mix unless you're hired specifically on a project. Even as a freelancer, like I don't reach out to other designers to like help with the project. And Maybe that's just me like starting out and trying to kind of make my own path or forge my own way. But I really don't reach out to other designers, even if it maybe would benefit me. And I agree. Um, I mean, coming from an agency setting right now, I know that if we have like, let's say an animation that we need to create and I'm creating the storyboard or some sort of direction for the animators to follow, I am not in that process when the animators are 
creating the video or the animation. Like basically I just give them direction, they follow it, and then they send it back for approval. And I've, I want to be part of that, that collaboration. I want to like be talking to them and having more of an open conversation and discussion. Um, and that's just, again, that's just within design. Yeah. So I was reading an article about generalism versus specialist and why generalism is kind of seen as maybe a negative thing. Designers are really trained to specialize. We are trained to get really good at one thing, whether that's branding, whether that's motion design, whether that is UI and UX or just graphic design. Like we really, even within graphic design, we're trained to specialize. And I think that's because being a specialist means that you've mastered something and you've become the best at your little niche and like awesome, like you're the best. And then that gets you more clients and that you're known for something and you have that little part of the world that you're an expert in. Something interesting that I read about this is that on the other side of that, if you're a generalist, that kind of means you're an amateur in the eyes of specialists. You haven't found your niche. You haven't found something that you can excel at and master. And so if you're never going to be master, you're always going to be an amateur. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting thing that you're pointing out because I feel like when I was graduating college, my portfolio was kind of, I wouldn't say it was all over the place, but I just had a wide breadth of work. Like I had some animation, I had some UI UX, I had some branding, I had some spatial design and designing in a physical space. And that was not common for my other peers who were graduating with me. A lot of my peers were all illustration or all branding. Um, and I kind of felt like, I kind of felt like it was weird to not have something that I was like really good at and I had multiple projects of, but now I don't think that way. And I think of all the projects that I did in college and that I showed in my portfolio that can now bring into my career. So it seemed like a negative thing. Like I didn't have my niche. I didn't have my one path that I wanted to follow, but now I'm really happy that I didn't have that because I can show that I can do a lot and that I'm always open to learning something else and not being siloed in that one design area. Well, I think that really speaks to the fact that young designers are encouraged, I think, to be a generalist, to have tried everything, to always be learning and to, you know, cast as wide a net as possible. Like I, my portfolio when I graduated was the same. Like I had illustration in there. I had editorial design, I had posters, branding, like it was all over the place, but I think it, I think it opens a lot of doors for young designers to, to have a very diverse portfolio. But then as you get later in your career, it's really encouraged that you find a niche and that you find something that you're good at and we're kind of conditioned to silo ourselves more and more and more until we have that one thing that we become a master at but why do we have to be siloed all the time why does our society see mastery as finding one thing that we're really good at why can't we you know there's that saying like a jack of all trades master of none why does that have to be such a bad thing when i was digging into this topic i realized that it didn't just start within the workplace. It started in education and not just college, but even before college, like 
So when we have schools, we have different subjects. We have science, we have math, we have art, we have gym. And those subjects are siloed. So it's, I feel like it's just natural for people to follow that route. When people ask, what's your favorite subject? It's only one answer instead of multiple answers. It's so crazy to me that we're siloing people's interests and the things that they're learning in school by subjects. And I think that should, I don't know, I think that should be opened. And I know we're like opening a door into a whole conversation about early education, but I think a good way to start implementing that is maybe looking at what colleges can do to not be siloed in majors. That's completely true. The decision-making and the choosing of what subjects we like best starts so early. And so we're taught that from the very beginning of you can only like one subject or you can only love one subject. Yeah, maybe you can be good at other ones, but what's the one thing that you really like? And then that moves into college where it's like, all right, what's the one thing you want to major in? What is the (laughs) one thing that you want to spend the next four years of your life learning about, studying, mastering, and then moving on to complete, still being siloed throughout the career. And that's just something I never really thought about that in as early as high school or even middle school. Like we had different classes in, in middle school as well, but can you, can you imagine like what would a school look like where the classes weren't like art, science, math? Like what would the, what would those even, I don't know, what would those look like? So when I was in high school, there was one class that was offered and it was a biology and an art class combined. And it was so cool. And we learned animal biology and human biology by drawing out the anatomy and stuff like that and drawing out cells. And I'm, again, I'm not huge into science, but it was so cool because we got to apply the creative part of illustration into science. And I wish they offered more. Yeah, it was just, it was also like really easy to implement. We had one art teacher come in and one biology teacher come in and they switched off. And it was just a really cool way to integrate those two subjects. That's so interesting. So I wonder if the start of getting rid of silos means just combining two subjects and like seeing what you find or seeing Mm -hmm. where the overlap takes you. I think that can be said for a lot of different things. And while we talk about education and, and university schooling, design can be applied to every single discipline. How do we design these classes and this structure so that we can get rid of these silos and get disciplines to start talking to each other and sharing that knowledge and experience? Right. Man, I don't want to be siloed. There are so many things that I wish that I've gotten in school. Like I love design and I found it and I was like, holy crap, this is what I want to be studying. But I wish that there had been someone to just push me and tell me to take other classes, different classes. Are you talking about more when you were in college? Yeah. Yeah. More when I was in college. Cause like in high school, we had our electives, but we all still had to take like math, science, art, literature like that kind of stuff I went to a liberal arts school and so there there was the opportunity I just don't think anyone was really pushing for that integration of take design and go study something else like imagine if a design curriculum was built so that you had to find a partner with it like you partnered it with something that's not related to design or art at my school a lot of people would 
major in communication design and then minor in art history. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Or like digital art or something like that. Yeah. Imagine if like you had to do a design with focus, like you could have design focused on sustainability. You could have design focused on business. You could have design focused on, on math or science. I think that would be, that would be really, really interesting. Yeah. Or even like maybe closely related subjects. There was a marketing major and a graphic design major. Like right now I'm working in a marketing agency. So that would have gone really well hand in hand working with marketing students or in a class like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Something, something else that I was reading about, I was reading this article from Ion Design from AIGA and it was what designers, educators, and writers wanted to see in 2022. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. One of the quotes from Annie Keto, design journalist at Quartz, her very first thing was, designers will snap out of these silos and scrutinize the chain of events that results from their work. And for all their giddy optimism, designers will reckon with how their efforts can sometimes contribute to defunct or damaging systems. And that really hit me kind of hard because I've always said, and I've always felt more so when I realized what climate design could be. And when I really scrutinized the design as a profession, like we can contribute to damaging systems, but we can also debunk damaging systems and we can choose to not be a part of them. That just hit me hard because it was like, dang, like if we get out of our silos, then we'll see the bigger picture and we'll see, you know, what that poster that we made, where that will really end up, or we've designed a great branding for a company that relies on fossil fuels. Now that company is going to utilize your design work, that awesome stuff that you did for them and just wreak more havoc on our planet. So I think that quote really struck me because if we get out of our silos, we'll be able to see the actual impacts of our work. Yeah, that's a really good point. In the article, did the person specify what they meant by damaging systems? It's a really interesting term that I haven't heard before. Yeah, so she goes on to say, quote, already this is happening with initiatives like Clean Creatives, where studios vow to decline business from the fossil fuel industry. I suspect this kind of interrogation will occur across a range of issues. There will be discourse, maybe even brave action, as designers own up to the idea that they can be agents of progress or peril. I read that and I was like, oh my God, that's like exactly what we've been talking about. Like, that's exactly what I think designers have to start thinking about and start saying. So have you heard of Clean Creatives, by the way? No, I haven't. It's really cool. I was doing research on them and it's a website where you can take a pledge that you will decline working companies that use fossil fuels. And there's an entire list of agencies and the fossil fuel companies that they work for. It's really astounding. I would highly recommend anyone who's listening to this as well, go look them up. Um, and it's like climate designers where you can sign up and take a pledge and they give you a badge. You can put it on your website and it's, it's really, really, really cool. Yeah, I'm totally going to check that out. That's really cool. Sounds like a scary list though. <laughs> it's a really scary list. It's so long. It's longer than I would have liked to imagine or even think about, unfortunately. So I loved that quote and I thought, 
you know, she, she hit it right on the head. Like the, the more that we silo, the less that we see the broader impacts of what we're doing as designers. Yeah. Wow. I love that. So how was your transition from school to design? And I think maybe to connect it back to what we were saying of like classes in middle school and high school, and then also in college were very siloed. Like, how do you think that translated when you graduated and when you got your first design job? Well, I'll start with my decision of where to go to college. So I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, and I specifically chose that school over the competing school I was thinking about, which was SCAD in Savannah, Georgia, because I did not want a school that was solely focused on creativity in the creative fields. I wanted my friends to be engineers and to be in business school. I wanted a variety of opportunities to expand my knowledge and maybe take other classes. So that was where I started. So within my graphic design curriculum, it was a very structured curriculum, which I really appreciate. However, it didn't really allow for any other classes besides like my gen eds. So I did take like statistics, which I did not like. <laughs> um, I did take other classes. I took some Spanish classes, but I feel like in my experience, it shouldn't all be up to the student to find other classes to take. I feel like that's up to the educators and the school to provide these classes and the intersection between two different majors, because that's a lot to ask of a student. Freshman, sophomore year, you're still just, you're trying to just figure out college in general. And on top of that, to ask the student to look for other classes that they're interested in when most people don't even know what they're majoring in yet, like it's a lot. And especially going into your junior and senior year, you're focused on the one major, so you don't really have time to take other classes. So I feel like if there were prescribed classes that integrated with each other, it would start to break down that siloed barrier that um, we're talking about and that is carried into the workplace. That's, that's a really good point because yeah, freshman year and sophomore year, you're trying to figure out college, you're trying to still figure out like, what the heck you want to do with your life? And first of all, just like having to ask that freshman or sophomore year is like so, so difficult. It's so difficult for someone that young to be like, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But aside from that, um, that's a great idea is to put that on the university, on the curriculums to really find the intersections between different curriculum. Because also, like, they're the experts in this field, not us. They, they should, when I say they, I guess, who do I mean? Administrators, educators, um, like, just people who know the field inside and out and can get together and try and figure out ways that students can take classes in these two separate disciplines and still get a, a comprehensive education and one that opens doors to learn more about multiple subjects. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, I feel like it's not that difficult to implement, especially with universities. That's the whole point of a university is to have many, many majors come together on one campus. So why aren't we utilizing it? You know? <laughs> yeah. Like it's still so siloed. There's an education school. There's a 
a communication school. There's a business school. They're all just siloed physically as well. Like I went to school and I was surrounded 99% of the time during my classes and just during the day by other comm students because that I was in the comm school. Um, and mm-hmm. I like, I don't know, imagine what it would be like if you had a, communi- a communications class that was like next to a math class. Like, I wonder if students would mingle more like that or if that would encourage faculty to discuss, you know, ways that their, their disciplines could overlap and intersect. And I think like what we're saying is like, it's not bad to have silos where you feel comfortable, you know everything in your surroundings, you, there's speakers and events specialized towards your majors, but there's also a time and place to break out of those silos, right? Why aren't we getting notified of an engineer coming and speaking about something maybe that has a little bit to do with design or not even, but I feel like it's just, it's asking a lot of the student to go out and try to expand their knowledge themselves. Like that's a lot. Yeah. And what you're saying makes me think about the fact that whenever speakers would come to Elon or the speakers that I heard about were mostly just communications related because Mm -hmm. I was hearing them from my communication educators on tables, like flyers on tables in the comm school. Like it was always just geared towards communications, but you're right. Imagine if there were flyers in the communication school about business speaker coming in and talking about crypto and how that can impact your life or, or I don't know, something like that, just to get students outside of their traditional like learning spaces and into a place that's more collaborative. And it will incite curiosity and collaboration in students if they feel confident to breach those barriers. Yeah, I agree. In the real life, you're not really just going to be working with designers. Even if you're working at a design agency, there will always be individuals outside of that team that you maybe have to collaborate with or clients that you get to collaborate with. I'm a freelancer. Right now I'm working with a web developer and a copywriter on a web project. I'm working with clients in the restaurant business, in the crafted worsted yarn business, in solar electric energy. I go onto these projects and I don't really know much about them, but I leave them and I'm like, wow, there's a whole world of knowledge that I've just been exposed to and gotten to learn about. And it's, I think because I'm doing such different projects and I'm freelancing and I'm building that out for myself. But in school, I was in charge of everything that I designed. My portfolio was 90% personal projects when I graduated. And that was really cool. And I think as designers, we're not always going to be in charge of every aspect of a project. And there will always be something for us to learn. And I think we need to implement that more in our education. Yes. So when I was listening to that, I was thinking, okay, what if people don't want to be unsiloed? What if they like being in silos? But then adults have hobbies, right? A lot of people have hobbies that have nothing to do with what they do during the workday. People can be computer software designers, and then they can go garden. And those two things have nothing to do with each other. But I do feel like there is a natural want to not be siloed in our day-to-day life, just to keep us curious, to keep us on our toes, to keep us interested. So in our daily lives, we are not in these silos. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, people have interests and curiosities and things that bring them joy that are outside of their workplace. And oftentimes a job is just a source of income and it's not something that a person is super passionate about. In that respect, maybe we do have to be a little bit more mindful of the comfort that a working silo can have so that you can explore other things outside of your career. But I mean, the world is collaborative. We should be trying to collaborate as much as possible and exchange information as much as possible um, because there's a lot of things in the design profession that other industries would benefit from, like design thinking, like how to pitch yourself, how to communicate. But then there, there are things in other industries that designers really should know and should be aware of. The first thing that comes to mind for me, because I consider myself a climate designer, is sustainability and how that can be brought into design and what design needs to learn from the impacts that we're having on our planet today. That's not the only example. That's just some, that's the first thing that I thought of, but it's, I think, I think there's a lot more that can be done to get us to be communicating more with other disciplines. And, and we have a lot to learn from other disciplines. Right. So let's wrap this up and talk about what immediate things can students and educators do to break out of the silos in the right time and place. So what are some things that we wish we knew in college or we wish that was implemented? Yeah. The first thing that came to mind as you were, as you were posing this question was you were saying people have interests outside of their jobs. And I'm sure educators have other interests outside of their jobs. Like what if they brought those interests into the classroom, like a design educator who really loves, like you said, gardening or who really loves, I don't know, Sudoku or these like mind puzzle games, bringing that into your classroom and showing your students how design can be applied to something that you wouldn't think of at first to be design. Yeah. And I actually think I have a good example for this. So Eric Benson, the host of this podcast was my college professor and he runs Fresh Press, which is a company that creates paper made from farm waste and agricultural waste. And Eric would bring students to his company and show them how this paper is made. And really like, this is his hobby and also his other job and also like his passion. And it was really cool to see someone teaching me be so passionate about two things and kind of bringing them together. I would just say like to educators, like tell the students about your passions. Like, what are you passionate about? Show us. We have passions too. Maybe ask us and see if there's a way to bring those two together. If it's something that you can't implement in your curriculum. Every time you talk about having Eric as a professor, I'm like, I wish I had Eric as a professor. Cause like, that'd be so cool. I would love to tour his farms and see where his paper comes from and what lights this guy up every day other than, than educating students. And I think something else that educators can do is like we were saying earlier in this episode, share opportunities with students that are outside of the design school or the communication school. If there's just something interesting that's happening on campus that has nothing to do with design, pitch it to your students. Maybe one or two or, or many of them will, will be interested and want to go. Light that curiosity within your students and show them that there's ways for design to overlap with other professions. Yeah. And I think another thing that I was thinking of 
was looking at the minors that your school is offering and suggesting and pointing out how the major and the minor can work together. Because I feel like sometimes as students, we have a hard time looking forward to how it's going to work together or just even like the next steps. So I feel like walking through those next steps with students about how two things that don't look like they can go together and go together, that'd be super helpful. Absolutely. I agree. Um, I think that would that would just open students' eyes up so much more to the possibilities of, of what they could be learning in school outside of just design. And what do you think students can do? Hmm. Make friends outside of the comm school. <laughs> like get, like uh, find some friends and find some people that you still vibe with that aren't communication design students. My best friend in college, my roommate, um, she was a bio major and a neuroscience minor. I would just be so incredibly astounded and impressed whenever she would talk about anything science, because I think science is super cool and super interesting, but I just barely passed chemistry. And so I think befriending and learning from your peers is the, the, is one of the best places to start. Mm -hmm. And then I also think like, ask, ask your professors, ask your advisors, like ask them, what can I do to like expand my knowledge on this that doesn't require me to take extra classes because people don't have time. Like students have other jobs, they have other classes to take. Um, but I mean, it'll never hurt to ask. Um, yeah, so I always, I always encourage asking. And there might be educators that, or no, not educators, there might be opportunities on campus that you may not know about that educators would know about. Maybe it's not classes, maybe it's volunteer opportunities, or maybe it's a job at a school, like a teacher's assistant, or I don't know, something like that, where you could learn on the job and get exposed to a whole nother side of your university that maybe you never would have if you, if you hadn't gone to them in the first place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's so much that we could say and talk about on education and especially the the siloed effects of education um but I think this has been a, a really great discussion and a really interesting one too and is making me think just about my own education and how students in the future will kind of need a, a more comprehensive and less siloed approach to design yeah, I'm really happy um, with everything that we talked about and hopefully it can be a helpful resource and a, a helpful perspective from two people who just recently graduated and um, are looking back on their education. <laughs> all right, great. Well, thank you all so much for tuning into this first episode of Deep Dive. I'm Rachel. And I'm Grace. And we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>